Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Welcome to the Brain Care Podcast with Mr. James Nestor, who is a science journalist and the author of the brilliant book, Breathe, published by Penguin, which was on my list for... I've got to be honest, most of 2020, and then I got round to it at the start of 2021, and I was pleased to know that it was definitely worth the wait, but slightly disappointed to learn that I actually should have got to it a little bit earlier because my daily life might have improved considerably leading up to that. So firstly, James, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. Can you just start with a quick intro of what actually brought you to the world of breathwork and what you were actually doing with most of your life before embarking on this journey? It wasn't one thing in particular. It was a number of things that kept accumulating over years and years. So I never thought I would be writing a book about breathing. What could be more boring, right? And when I first had this idea to write this book, my agent laughed at me and said, yeah, no, uh, I think you got to try a little harder than that. And so years went by and uh, I had various breathing issues. Growing up, I had breathing issues when, as an adult, I was eating all the right foods. I was exercising all the time, but I was getting sick all the time. I was getting pneumonia. I was getting bronchitis, not major, but you know, the, the response to that was a pack of antibiotics and which, which took care of the immediate problem, but it didn't take care of the core issue. So after that kept happening over years and years, I was finally introduced to free diving. I was sent on assignment to Greece to write about free divers. And I saw what they could do with their breathing. And I thought, my God, what have we forgotten here about our most simple, most subtle biological function? Where else can it take us? And that's really what kicked off this idea for the book and convinced my agent at the beginning that it would be perhaps worthy of research. And ironically, uh, where did it take you? It took you back to where you live. It took me all over the place. You know, when you're writing a book about breathing, you don't imagine yourself in a laboratory surrounded by 300 pre-industrial skulls inspecting their teeth. That's just not the path where I thought I would be following for a book about human respiration. But as a journalist and as a curious person, I really wanted to get below the immediate surface of this story, many layers deep. And what I discovered was the real story was not two or three layers deep. It was about 10 layers deep, which is why the book proposal that in nonfiction, you write a book proposal and you sell that proposal and you get a modicum of money to go out and write the book is completely different than what the book ended up being. I had to throw out six months of research because I didn't realize that humans have become the worst breathers in the animal kingdom. And this is something that has happened to our anatomy. We are right out of the gate, pretty host um, to be mouth breathers, to breathe too much, to suffer from snoring and sleep apnea. And our ancestors didn't have any of these problems. I just thought that that story was fantastic for a number of reasons. First and foremost is because I never heard it before. And so few people were talking about it. Let's start with what are the consequences for, well, what you've learned are the consequences for how we've learned to breathe. This was something I learned years ago is 
when I was talking to researchers, I'm in San Francisco, so I'm close to Stanford, spent a lot of time at their medical library talking with their researchers. And they're the ones who convinced me. They said, we are terrible breathers. I said, what does that mean? I'm, I've been breathing my whole life. I'm still alive. I'm doing fine. Everyone else who's alive right now is breathing. They said, just look around if you don't believe us. Look at the rates of asthma. Look at the rates of chronic sinusitis. Look at the rates of allergies. Look at how many people snore. Look at how many people suffer from sleep apnea. The majority of the population is suffering from some chronic respiratory issue. And it's become so common that we think it's just okay. We giggle about, oh, my husband snores. Oh, my wife snores. Oh, I have sleep apnea. I wear CPAP. There's nothing normal about this. And these chronic respiratory issues are causing a whole laundry list of serious health problems, heart disease, you know, diabetes is tied to breathing, mental health issues and more. And a lot of people aren't talking about this. And I thought that that was so strange because I think the main reason is breathing isn't something you study in college, right? You would figure a pulmonologist who is a specialist at the lungs studies the proper way of breathing. They don't. My father-in-law is a pulmonologist. They study if we're breathing or not. If you're not breathing, go to a pulmonologist. If you are breathing, they say, well, come back when you can't breathe. So I think it's just fallen through the cracks for so many years. And now finally, we're starting to recognize and appreciate the, the power of healthy breathing. So, I mean, let's go back to the beginning then. How should most of us breathe compared to how we do breathe? We should be breathing through our noses the vast majority of the time. And throughout night, while you're sleeping, you should be breathing through your nose. And about 60% of the population breathes through its mouth while it's sleeping. So that's a problem. So first and foremost, breathe through the nose. Second, you want to breathe lightly and you want to breathe slowly and you want to breathe rhythmically. So that sounds harder than it actually is, but this is how your body is going to extract oxygen in the most efficient way. And you don't want to push it. A lot of us Westerners, we learn something new and then we go all the way into it. You hear about keto and you never eat a carb again. You know, you're, you're a vegan. You don't even think about dairy products, but breathing doesn't have to be like that. This should be something that it feels light and effortless. You shouldn't see someone breathing across the room. It should be almost imperceptible. That's what healthy breathing is. You talk about mouth taping and you talk about the various ways that people ultimately struggle to shut their mouth whilst they're sleeping, right? Actually sounds relatively easy, but more complicated than it sounds. So what is mouth taping and how weird do you think uh, people find it and their partners? Mouth taping sounds sketchy. We've all seen, you know, a lot of James Bond films. He's usually, you know, has duct tape over his mouth. It is not pretty. It's not a good look. But you know what's an even worse look is to have a bunch of cavities and is to have your face grow in this very long profile. It's to have chronic lung inflammation. It's to be suffering from dysfunctional breathing every night of your life. And that's what happens when you're breathing through your mouth. So I talked to Dr. Ann Kearney down at Stanford and she uses mouth tape. And that's what she told me years ago. I said, what are you talking about? She's like, yeah, prescribe it to all my patients. Because when we breathe through our mouth, actually at any time, but if we spend a third of our lives breathing through our mouth, we are letting all of this air into our bodies and it is unfiltered. So the nose is our filter. This is our first guardian, right? Our nose filters out pathogens. It helps fight off viruses. It slows down air. It heats it, it conditions it. When we're 
Breathing like that all night, it can have so many deleterious effects on our health. Nobody is arguing this, right? <laughs> There's no controversy about it. But what do you do? A lot of people say, oh, when, I, when I'm unconscious, my muscles loosen, my mouth opens. What can I do about it? You can wear a little piece of tape. I'm not saying that this is the right thing for everyone and it's going to cure you for ev from every condition you have, but it's very easy. I found it incredibly beneficial and the data has shown that. And this is the one thing, the second most popular thing people have written me about, thousands and thousands of people have said, I no longer snore because I wear a teeny piece of tape in the middle of my lips and everyone laughed at me, thought it was stupid, but look at my sleep scores now, <laughs> right? Look at my snoring right now. And uh, I just wanna be very clear, another caveat here, just some hand waving, that if you have chronic obstruction, if you have structural issues in your nose, then this is not the thing for you, okay? This is not something for everybody. I found for most people it's very beneficial. So use common sense. It's good to know someone with a beard as well, that the mouth taping down the middle works absolutely fine for you. Yeah, you know, a lot of people think that when they think of mouth taping, it's this very fat strip across the lips. Why would you do that? Uh, this isn't about creating a hermetic seal. So it's a teeny piece, about the size of a postage stamp here in the US. And this is very light tape with a light adhesive. And this isn't to seal it up. It's just to remind yourself when your muscles relax, to keep your mouth shut. And uh, this stuff has changed my life. <laughs> it really has. And when I've talked to dentists who have said, few dentists say the number one cause of cavities is mouth breathing, even over sugar is mouth breathing. You change the pH in your mouth, you make your mouth more acidic, and that is a breeding ground for bacteria and cavities. One of the most surprising and fascinating parts of your research was actually around the impact of CO2. So we're naturally conditioned, obviously, to think that oxygen is good and CO2 is bad, you know, broadly speaking. But in your research, you actually uncovered multiple anecdotes and stories to suggest that that's not necessarily a black and white argument. So can you share your experiences there? Yes. Yeah, so CO2 has gotten a bad rap, uh, rightfully so, in the environment and the climate. So there's too much CO2 and it's causing global climate change. And if you believe otherwise, sorry, you're wrong, because the science is very clear on that. Science has known that CO2 is essential for the human body for 120 years. Without CO2, we don't exist. So oxygen can only do its thing. It can only disassociate from hemoglobin into hungry cells in the presence of CO2. And when we don't have enough CO2, that oxygen delivery gets very difficult. So we actually enter a state of relative hypoxia by having too little CO2 in our bloodstreams. And you can experience this yourself, everybody. Here's a little self-experiment. Why don't you take 20 very heavy breaths right now? <sighs> I won't do it. I'll continue talking as you are taking those heavy breaths. You might feel some coldness in your fingers, in your toes. You're going to feel a lightness in your head. That is not from an increase of oxygen to those areas, but a decrease of CO2. So that is vasoconstriction. And when we breathe too much, when we hyperventilate, if you've done holotropic breath work, you'll feel all kinds of crazy things from hyperventilation. 
we offload too much CO2 and we make it harder for our bodies to get oxygen, to get fuel. And you can actually decrease the blood flow in your brain by 40% if you really hyperventilate, which is one of the reasons why some people can pass out while doing a Wim Hof method or holotropic breathwork. Which we'll come on to in the next episode. But I think there was a couple of insights from the research on CO2 as well. You touched on with therapy, with uh, CO2 therapy sort of was a thing back in the day. And then sort of the research just stopped in the 1950s or so. Is that right? That's right. It was actually a thing um, in 1910, 1920s. And this was research that was was not happening in a garage and, you know, in Phoenix, Arizona. This was at leading institutions, Harvard, Boston U, uh, Yale. They were the ones doing this research and they found it to be incredibly beneficial. And no one has disclaimed this science. That's what's so amazing is these huge discoveries come up Fire trucks in the U.S. at one time in major cities carried CO2 because it was so effective for victims of stroke and heart attacks and asphyxia. And no one disproved it. It's just they found what they thought was a better mousetrap, anesthesia, and they found other drugs. And so what's been very interesting, uh, especially in the world of mental health, is all of these psychologists and neuropsychologists and researchers are rediscovering the benefits of increasing CO2 in people with asthma and panic and fear-based disorders and finding it works incredibly well because of course it does. This has already been proven over decades, more than a century ago. So you can only find these stories so many times before you get frustrated. And it seemed like every single issue I was looking into, I was not looking for these, but every single thing I was researching was following the same arc, had the same story. What are your top three takeaways for people to learn about how they can improve their breathing techniques and enhance their lives through the power of breath on sort of an everyday basis? So the first thing is breathe out of your nose. If you can't breathe out of your nose, then you need to find a way of unplugging your nose and you need to breathe out of it. Some people need surgery. A lot of us just need to use our noses more. So that's number one. I'm convinced now more than ever that you can't ever really be healthy unless you're an obligate nasal breather. So the second thing is to breathe slowly. We always think that more is more, but when it comes to breathing, less is more. And the third thing is breathing awareness. Throughout the day, notice your breathing. If you're like me, you're going to notice how dysfunctional it is the majority of the time. Once you become aware of it, then you can fix it and you can really celebrate in so many benefits to your mental health and physical health because of that. Amazing, James. Thank you. Look forward to having you on the next episode. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at your heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how healthy your brain is, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain health to get your free score from one to 100. See you next time.